I got, I got shorts, every fucking color. I got designer t-shirts. I got gold bullets, motherfucking vampires. I got Scarface on repeat. Scarface on repeat, constant, y'all. I don't know what's going on here. I was just at work for real. Like I'm, I'm just trying to do my job, and I don't know. You can get a rich man if you tried. I don't want a rich man. You can't close the leads you're given. You can't close shit. You are shit. Hit the bricks, pal, and beat it, because you are going out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot. But uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Hi, welcome to Projections Podcast Series 4. This season, we're looking at work and money on screen, critiquing modern economics through a psychoanalytic lens. We'll discuss excess, pursuit, competition, livelihood, austerity, property, and post-digital work, culminating in liberation, to touch on the various trials, tribulations, and traumas of accessing the means of survival. First, we pitch them Disney, AT&T, IBM, blue chip stocks exclusive. Companies these people know. Once we suck them in, we unload the dog shit, the pink sheets, the penny stocks, where we make the money. It's your choice to be a skivvy, isn't it? A skivvy doesn't come to you, you go to it. Come on, let's go to Paris's. I wanna rob. All right, we're back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. I don't know what episode this is. This is episode five. Hey, future Mary Wilde in post-production here. It's actually episode seven, as you were. Oh, wow. We do so much work. I'm proud of us. Yeah, me too. I feel like we've done a lot of work in this series, and I feel better for it. Like, I feel like I've really nourished by these discussions we've been having me too me too and I feel like I really need um a nourishing discussion because I have been involved in a Kafka-esque uh experience with HMRC in the the last nine months and it really came to a head this week and so I'm over identifying with the films that we're going to discuss today yeah I feel like these two films are for sure super timely and all of us probably can find something in them to relate to at the moment Mm mm-hmm I don't even know what order we should go in because so today we're talking about post-digital work. Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking, sorry, we missed you first. Yeah. And then Cam second. Perfect. Um, Just because it's always good to um, finish with a lighter ending. Um, We always try and we always try and reach some kind of. Resolution. Some kind of transcendence or resolution, just you know, to stop bumming you guys all out. Um, <laughs> and we ch- we actually chose. So sorry, we missed you blind. Uh, just yeah. on the strength of we did a Ken Loach film before, and we found it very ripe for analysis in our first series. And it, this one, just thinking around the subject of post digital work, this one seemed like the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken about Cam before because we interviewed the filmmakers ages and ages ago in one of our bonus episodes. But it's nice to come back to it with this work-focused lens because that's definitely one of the things we both really took from it when we discussed it before. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, for sure. It, and I think it takes on a, a slightly more profound meaning when we discuss it in this context mm-hmm. um, and we give it that little bit of time that it requires to unpack a lot of the really complex messages about how we come to construct our work in our modern day mm-hmm. okay well yeah I think you're right I think that order is perfect so we start off with sorry we missed you and as you said we both came to this film blind like prior to a couple of days ago neither of us had actually seen it yep. we only just watched it recently and it, it really like threw me for a loop it is so sad it's really sad. I watched it last night and then had to watch an episode of Buffy so that I didn't go to bed sad. Um, and you just finished watching it. So you're all still sad. Yeah, I'm I feel like I feel bad because I watched it with Paul and um, 
we both got a little bit emotional while we watched it. And then I felt guilty because I was like, I didn't want to make Paul feel bad. Oh, the ever suffering Paul. I know. Such such a saint and always, always being forced to watch films that upset him. He's like, he's like, it's, it's not a horror movie, is it? I'm like, no, 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 it's not a horror movie. But actually it is. It's a it social, kind of is, yeah. It's a social horror movie. <laughs> oh, poor Paul. I told him that later we can watch like something fun, like some, just some like kind of vacuous, vapid, like action movie just to neutralize. That's a very good idea. Now I understand what those movies are for. <laughs> palette cleansers. They are, truly. Mm-hmm. So this is a very recent release, actually. It was only released last year. Yep, 2019, I guess. You know what what surprised me about this film is that it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, my God, I know. I know we've already complained about Amazon once, but since Amazon are kind of one of the the main sinners in the crime depicted in this film, mm-hmm. you'd think it wouldn't be on Amazon Prime, but I don't know. I watched it on iTunes. Oh, well done. I think it was on BBC iPlayer quite recently as well. It might still be on there. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Anyway, we just like to share with you the ways that you can not watch things on Amazon. (laughs) We're here to remind you. Just just remember. Um, Okay, shall I synopsize? Yes, please. Okay. A realist drama directed by Ken Loach, Sorry We Missed You, tells the story of a Newcastle-based family, parents Ricky and Abby and children Seb and Liza Jane. Thousands of pounds in debt and dreaming of owning a house to escape the cycle of rent, Ricky gets a job in a franchise business as a self-employed delivery driver. I've put quotes around the word self-employed. A scheme which Cara Abbey funds by selling her car. However, the stresses of the driving job ensure that things go from bad to worse, not just for Ricky, but for the whole family. I love the the wife. Like, she was amazing. Um, Abby, she she just has a heart of gold, and I loved she was she's so good at her job as well. Yeah, watching her with her as they they call it clients, for lack of a better term, um, in the caring industry, like she just has so much patience and she's so kind and friendly, and she's a good mom. And it's like you could see that uh, Ricky's the one who's more of a kind of live wire like he has a temper and he means well he means well for sure and he's committed to his family but it's just she's the real kind of strength in the family isn't she yeah she is but I suppose they both kind of have this problem of over identifying um with I mean I suppose um naturally over identifying but she's um she kind of takes on the responsibility of her clients which should belong to so many other people that responsibility um but doesn't seem to and then um and he kind of this these two films really made me think about um the way that you become obsessed with the source of your of your problems or the source of your pain um I was thinking about it I was reading The Artist's Way um and I was and she it sort of talks about how if you're creative and you deny yourself time to be creative, then she calls it artistically anorexic. Oh. She says, uh, yearning to be creative and refusing to feed that hunger in ourselves so that we become more and more focused on our deprivation. And I thought that's really, I don't know, that's that's kind of a really interesting, uh, like something that you don't have can be your like your entire focus. Wow. Um, I don't know. It just it made me like that's kind of where the source of anxiety is for me because he just becomes totally obsessed. Yeah. With, with uh, you know, and like the money kind of you, he talk about the money immediately. Like they're making, they're figuring out whether they can buy a van or whether they should re- like rent a van from the company. And renting a van from the company costs this much, and you've got all of these kind of just that they there's all these numbers kind of being flung around the entire time and it's this that's kind of the source of the anxiety and when he has to miss days it's like a hundred pound fine plus like a hundred pound fine for doing the for needing to replace the driver plus a sanction plus like this money plus the next day's money and it just kind of like goes on and on and builds up and the more that the more he it seems like the more he thinks about it 
the worse it gets or the more yeah. attention that he pays to it the worse it gets in this kind of paradoxical way you're sort of told that if you're like if you're responsible and you think about money enough and you don't hide from it then you should be okay but here is like a family that aren't hiding from anything they're just they're focused 100% on trying to plug these holes yeah but it doesn't make a difference like your awareness of something in a way is kind of is is making you suffer even worse and maybe making the whole thing more of a trauma than wow. it needs to be I don't know the thought isn't fully formed but there's something I don't know I'm only I really am overrelating because I'm really obsessing about money at the moment and the more yeah. I obsess about money it seems like the higher my aspirations get yeah or the more I think I need like the more worried I get about it the further the gap like the more pressure I put on myself and the the higher the targets are and the more I want yeah um whereas when I'm not thinking about it so much I don't I don't feel like I need so much or when I'm doing the I don't know it's it's a strange kind of it's a strange kind of money maths it's like the way that when you get paid more at work you worry about your job less Mm -hmm. even though you think that you're being paid to worry more (laughs) um it's like so like the people that worry the most are the people with the least and it does make sense that yeah I don't know I'm just it's very paradoxical it's really paradoxical I mean it's like partly because I don't understand money but I feel like there are these there are these strange like the worry like worry and obsession and overthinking belongs to the wrong people Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that is um, really neatly articulated because it is exactly that. Like, it's it's just a totally inverse relationship, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what really struck me is all these people with so many worries having to take on these types of jobs because he's he's taking on the responsibility of owning his own van and showing up to this place to pick up deliveries and distribute them. He's being sold this dream that he's like entrepreneurial and working yes. for himself, but actually he's it's a total scam. It's just precarity work of being completely enslaved, um, probably getting very little money for the amount of time that he's investing. And he gets stuck and it's like once he becomes accustomed to earning that set amount every day, like he can't go back. Yes. It's just, I can just see how it completely consumes what person's quality of life. Yeah, it does. You're completely right. It is something to do with becoming, because he's, when the way he lists his skills at the beginning, you know, he says, I've worked here, I've worked here, I've done this, I've done this. This is a very skilled and experienced man. This is someone with so much, with so much to offer. But as you're right, as he sort of focuses on this number, which is what 170 a day or something mm. like that, as he sort of focuses on this number, this number becomes, this number becomes something he can't. Yeah, like you said, something he can't grow back from, but also something that sort of gets smaller, even though it's still the same amount. Yeah. Um. It kind of in it somehow it narrows his options completely, yeah. and he's just a slave to this number. And also to, you know, to all of the numbers, to the, the that thing that beeps at him and tells him, you know, what time he's got to get to his deliveries. And um, yeah, it's, it is interesting that you, you put that so perfectly, that as he kind of becomes accustomed to this, to earning this much, it, it kind of traps him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a totally tyrannical space. I mean, there's the manager, Maloney, who is just despicable, um, like, Oh, I just, I would never grow tired of punching that man. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. seriously. Um, the things that he comes out with, like, he's basically just spelling out that he's a psychopath. Like, he doesn't care about anyone's family situation or what they've got going on. He's just like, I don't care. You know, like, you got to do this job and that's what you signed up for. And aspect of neoliberalism that frustrates me the most is the fact that people can now kind of an- proudly announce that they don't care about human connections. Yeah. And that that then becomes a virtue that you're good at your job. And it's just so vicious and it's so cruel. Well, that list that he kind of reeled off, it, <laughs> it reminded me of the way that we 
um, are exposed to various different like petitions and charities and um, appeals for money um, <laughs> and that we can just scroll past them. It's like where, you know, the way that he kind of yields off all of these like causes and all of these people that need help. It did kind of remind me of like, yeah, won't, you know, won't contribute to the, Yem- the Yemen today, won't contribute <laughs> to Beirut today, won't, you know, won't engage in this today, won't engage to that today, because it's all just, it's all just the same um, size of thing. It's like far away from me and it's not, it's not got anything to do with me and it's not going to affect the decisions that I'm going to make today. Oh my um, God, that is so true. Like he, yeah. he's just able to completely divorce himself from that. What he sees is just this laundry list of problems that have yeah. nothing to do with him. And he can just kind of like ignore and pretend that none of these things exist and just go about his merry way. That is such a good way of putting it. Like he, he just doesn't choose to opt into humanity. Yeah, basically. I was thinking that like I was so affected by that character that I was wondering if Ken Loach would like grant me the permission to make some kind of fan fiction film where he gets kidnapped and held for ransom and then has to face up to to the problem of his lack of human connection. Um, and like, but that was, I mean, he had the most affecting speech in the entire. He did. Film, which is when he says, like, do you think any of the people you meet you met on your route care about you? Hmm. They don't care about you. They care that they get their package on time. The thing hmm. that they bought is in their hands in the between the times that they were told it would be. That's all they care about. And it just, it, we were talking about this before, but it just made me realise the amount of people whose lives I have probably affect. And I don't think about it. I know. All. And it's, it's, are we, you know, we like, before we'd had I, Daniel Blake, and it was very much about this sort of government body and the way that it's responsible for ruining people's lives. But this is a much harder film to watch because it's very much about this system that is not, it's not necessarily someone's, someone's fault. It's just something that we've all kind of opted into. And we all, every time we like order a package or watch a, like a film or I don't know order a takeaway or buy some clothes or anything you we've basically said like yes I'm complicit for another day in all of these people's suffering yeah and that's like enormous and exhausting to even think about it's it's not yeah this is not this goes beyond being about a person and their struggles and is about the way that we've all kind of opted in Oh my God, that is so, so true. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just, you know, as you say, in Di- I, Daniel Blake, there is like, it's a very um, definable adversary. It's the DWP. We can just point to that, you know, government agency and say, they're the culprit, you know. But here in this film, and sorry, we missed you, we're all participating in, in what is making people's lives miserable. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just the whole economic system is so mismanaged and in, in bad need of reform. It's just very sad to see. It's just kind of hit me that that's the problem with paying people for their time. Mm. Um, because like, it sounds so good when people, if someone said to me, you know, here's 170 a day, here's 250 a day. And you do the maths of how much you'll earn if you work all the days in the year. And you're like, okay, I'm set. I'm like on a high salary. But it's not really true because there's no kind of accumulation or there's no there's no progression. It's like they've they've actually given you a ceiling yeah. and it's impossible. It's impossible for you to take care of yourself in the future. It's like it's actually impossible for you to ever stop. I think that's actually really what this film's about, that there's some kind of philosophical problem with the way that whoever organises all of this, with the needs that we need to fulfil, because it's not about, it's actually not supposed to be about, you know, having this much in a day. It's supposed to be about how you're going to be able to feed your humanity for the rest of your life. And all of these, like, old or older people or old people that um, Abby looks after... Well, the like the the gap in their care is that they don't. She doesn't have time to talk to them or have a conversation with them or spend time with them doing what they like to do. 
and that no one's factored that in like that someone's wow. kind of paid for their food and their cleaning and you know their, their cleaning and for them to be like physically well but that no one's there's no like there's no gap for humanity and no one's factored that in it's the same with him where he's should the daughter says you'd think if they've got everything planned out so specifically they give you time for a toilet break it's like a, the smartest thing anyone says in the film yeah. and it's the same with their son they've got these huge problems with their son who frankly I also would have punched in the face yeah <laughs> um I, I'm, I'm not a good parent because when it's when you know he thinks that he's stolen his van keys and then it's and then he punches him in the face and then he runs away and then it's revealed that the little girl took the van keys because that she just wanted things to go back to normal I was like oh, I would be such a bad parent because when he punched <laughs> him in the face I was like yes exactly I would do the same I would 100% do the same, that little twat, and then he's not actually responsible. <laughs> um, so I just, Don't worry, I said the same thing to Paul. I'm like, he had it coming. He had it coming, but he didn't. So, and that's why, and that is why you do not punch kids in the face. Because, because your judgment could be incorrect. <laughs> and other reasons. But that is the thing with, yeah. like, with the only thing that can put that kid on the straight and narrow, the only thing that can offer that kid some solace, as the mother says, is we have to spend time with him. We have to connect with him. It's the only thing we can do. And it's, like, unfortunately the only thing that they don't have time to do, that they don't have schedules that can accommodate. That hasn't um, been, you know, human relationships haven't been factored into this economic model. It's obscene. Basically basically yes and I was as I told you today I was writing I decided that the only thing I could do is write all of my anxieties down it ended up being 3,000 words mm-hmm. um, but one of the things is that I I to-do list my friends because I have to factor time in with them in the same way that I have to factor all of the I have to prioritize all of these other things and that's not a human relationship and that's weird yeah. And also because I work with so many of my friends, like I have to avoid them when I haven't finished the task I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, that's that's here, neither here nor there. But, yeah, the, I think that's the whole, the whole film is, that is the whole message. As you said, like human relationships and humanity has not been calculated into neoliberal economics. Not at all. Oh my God, that is so true. I, th- I think that that essential message and takeaway absolutely applies to, for sure, both of their jobs and the impact that it's having on their kids. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, like Sab, clearly the little boy, like, or the teenager, he's he's obviously very gifted with art. Like, he's creative, you know. Um, and you can see that actually when they did the graffiti, I thought that was really cheeky. Like when they, oh, the, yeah. the excuse that they came up with to, to like basically do a, a tag in broad daylight on this billboard. And I, when they finished, I was like, wow, they're really good. Like I like the aesthetics. Um, I have to admit, like I have, I just want to take a moment to say how much I love Zoomers, like Generation Z. I just love them so much. Like I love their whole vibe I love what they're doing on TikTok I'm a big TikTok watcher um I love their (laughs) don't you think that what you really love is just like teenagers and you were that once don't you think like I really think you know when I've listened I've heard you talk about being a teenager and you sound like just as creative just as sort of involved and I think that's the thing is it just the that teen is, aesthetics? Yeah, I just think yeah. just like they have it, you know, they're the luckiest things in the world because they've got, you know, they haven't entered into, I mean, they're having a really stressful time and they yeah. are told that they have to pass exams, otherwise they have no future. And they sort of have, they sort of, you know, have a shortage of time. But, you know, it's the most time you're ever going to have. And they spend it hanging out with their friends and like doing paintings or like, <laughs> baking or like exercise videos or like all of the random or watching films and all of the random things that I used to do when I was a teenager and it's the happiest time if it wasn't for all of the hormones and all of the social anxiety it would have been the happiest time ever (laughs) and I think we should all you know that's that like being a teenager forever should kind of be factored into the economic (laughs) system you should have time to do all of that stuff it's the most creative time ever 
Yeah. And, you know, he's kind of got it right. I mean, he's got it incredibly wrong because it's, yeah. not, you know, it's not going to get him anywhere. And, you know, graffiti's a little bit annoying and, um, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not going to make him any money and it's not going to help him survive. But he is going to survive. He's surviving in that sort of psychological way that no one else in the film is. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, he has a support system. Like he's got his friends that he's able to to see. What about the little friends. girl? Like the poor little girl is having to absorb all of the stress in this house, and she, like the poor thing, you can tell that she's really she has a lot of empathy, and she feels the suffering and pain of the parents in a much deeper way than maybe her brother does. Like mm-hmm. she takes, she internalizes a lot of the trauma in the family, and you can see like. You know, the poor thing has wet the bed and is is visibly upset many times during the movie. Like, when she cried, like, her, my, my heart broke for her. She's such a good little actress. Yeah, she's really good. She's much better than the kid actors in uh, I, Daniel Blake. Sorry. But this is, again, also why I wouldn't be a good mother. Like, like you children are bad actors. <laughs> I know. Where's the justice? And and I, Daniel Blake, won the Palm Door. Like, where is this little girl's Palm Door? You know. I know. She's so good. But I don't know. Hopefully she was she amazing. She was very good. <laughs> the whole family was brilliant. They were amazing. They were. Re- they they really were. And you can tell that. Um. Also, the little girl is super smart. Like she she you know she she saw right through a lot of the the problems, and it just kind of made me hope, like truly hope that this generation generation z or like just younger people in gen in general um that they can undo a lot of the damage of this economy because it's just it's i mean it's truly unacceptable it's gone beyond the pale no one should have to work zero hours contracts no one should have to be a precarious worker people should have a decent living wage and just be on the payroll and be able to just kind of take their income for granted and live their life, spend time with their family or just chill out, veg out, do nothing, not be productive. It's okay. You know? Oh, Oh, I hope. (laughs) Please save us Zoomers. I'm really, (laughs) I'm really worried about getting old. (laughs) Honestly, like having spent a lot of time on TikTok during lockdown, I have a lot of faith in Zoomers. Like I feel like they, I feel like they know what's up and they will go to bat for us. <laughs> I really hope so. If you have any Zuma listeners, then he's already counting on you. Yeah, we actually, I said to you maybe last year, I said, I hope that Projections podcast becomes like the the premier Zoomer podcast. <laughs> like, I really want to attract like this kind of like massive Zoomer following. <laughs> I'm not sure how we do that. I'm too old. I'm too old to know. <laughs> Um, oh, what, what, what about me? I'm Generation X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you guys have a, you have, you guys have a kinship with the Zoomers, Generation X and the Zoomers. I'm just a millennial, and everyone hates us. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, if there's any Zoomers listening right now, you know, let us know in the comments. Follow us on Twitter. Let us know. We want to hear from the Zoomers out there. Yeah, we really, really do. <laughs> if you guys want us to do different kinds of films, tell us, and we yeah. will sell out for you. Um, because we want you guys so much um, but still thank you to our um, older audience yeah absolutely too, pretty much I'm pretty sure you're 90% of our listeners so we appreciate you too we appreciate you so much absolutely a lot of love a lot of love um, um, so I really have to tell a story of something that happened before we started recording we were talking yeah. about various people's reaction to this film and um that some people found it like overly moralistic and uh, how sort of being implicated as um, part of the problem is difficult for some people and people can get defensive. Um, and Mary said, very accidentally referred to um, little white lies as those little white guys, which <laughs> I thought, which made us laugh for about 15 minutes and I thought was just a perfect little... Um, allusion to the current state of film criticism and I just want to leave that there because we don't really we don't want to attack anyone but um those little white guys (laughs) was too funny to not share with you yeah that that really and the thing is I didn't even realize I said it it was only when I saw you laughing like wait a minute what did I just say (laughs) (laughs) 
that's how second nature it's become, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, okay, Cam? Cam, yes. My favorite film of all time. Oh, I really God. do think that this is the most, for me, it's the most inspiring film I've ever seen. Everything about it, how it was made, what it's about, like everything. That it's it's its existence as is inspirational creatively, and then its content is inspirational life-wise. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I I have such fond memories of seeing this um, during the London Film Festival. I think it was a couple of years ago now. Yeah, it was. And that was for sure like the highlight of the festival for both of us. It's the unicorn of all festivals because yeah. I like it was my first full London Film Festival, and I thought every year was going to be like that where you would just find an amazing, a perfect film, and it's never happened since. I've never found a perfect film apart since Cam. Cam's the last perfect film, <laughs> and it's really my last amazing. perfect film. I have to say is still Joker, but that oh, was yeah. not on the film festival last year. It so was that- not in the film festival. No. And it wasn't the thing about Cam is it was small enough to feel like a discovery, like it was a perfect film. And um, a lot of other people discovered it as a perfect film during that festival and afterwards. So it's not just ours, but it's we did a screening of a, a Netflix party of it with Zodiac earlier in the lockdown. And it was just it's always a pleasure to introduce this film to people because I just have such complete confidence in it. Like it's I will no one doesn't like this film it's so it's so great it really is like it's just it's kind of like incredible and just the the artistic partnership between the screenwriter and the director and how they're so creatively on the same page it's so inspiring it's amazing it really is okay I'm gonna synopsize Alice Ackerman is earning a living as a cam girl under the name Lola Seemingly financially successful, she aspires to be in the top 10 of the cam girls on her site, but struggles to climb the ranks despite the hours and creativity she puts in. After a particularly gruelling night of performance, she wakes to find herself locked out of her account and a doppelganger performing in her place. Um, Where to start? I mean, there's so much to say about this film. And as you rightly said earlier, like we do have an episode um, going back a bit now, but we did interview the director and screenwriter, so you can go and listen to that. But it is interesting to talk about this film purely as, I guess, a discussion on the way we work. Yeah, I think it's it's a really revolutionary film in its depiction of female, of young women's labour. And it's like a labor that is such a specific type, like it's a type of, it's quite a Zuma type of labor. <laughs> it's, she's so ambitious that it's not what you think sex work is. You know, it's not the way sex work has been depicted in so many thousands of films as this mm-hmm. kind of, as, you know, as being about like appearance and, you know, sexiness and sort of very much through the male gaze. It's like very much... Um, and it's not very it's like not an incredibly sexual film no like there's not you don't really see any like overtly sexual acts or anything like that so it kind of takes this idea of what sex work is and kind of turns it on its head Um, there's so much there's the there's there's like the there's the way she works in the beginning of the film there's what kind of happens to her what happens to her labor in the second half of the film there's the way that her attitude towards work that is so incredibly interesting. She's kind of, we could talk about this film in so many of our other series. There's like the, because the, the filmmaker said that it was kind of, um, one of the inspirations was Black Swan and it was the yeah. idea of someone being a perfectionist and someone taking it on themselves to become obsessed and become, and, and to not stop working. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I actually don't know where to start. I'm kind of rambling now. Well, I mean, actually, what what stood out to me was also how in this line of work, like camming, um, there's a relationship that she's building with her followers, but there's also this meta relationship of competition with other cam girls mm-hmm. and you know, how they're ranking like in the charts of, you know, who's the, who's in the highest position. And there's a lot of desire to be on the top, or at least this, this particular character seems to be like very 
fixated on being the like at least like breaking the top 50 and then maybe going further and when we discover that her online presence has been like hijacked and she can't actually reclaim the units of her work like she can't go into her account she can't you know she's completely frozen out of everything she's created mm-hmm. and then to find out that there's a performer who's streaming live and for all intents and purposes is her exact twin uh broadcasting from a studio that looks very much like her own space and i guess to me like what that signaled is Seeing other people, you know, seeing yourself reflected in other people in your industry and that horrific, horrific fear of watching them succeed at the very thing that you're good at. Mm-hmm. But you're not you're being kept in the dark, like you're frozen out of the limelight, but they're the ones taking all the credit for the very thing, you know, that you're capable of doing and you have to sit there and just witness them. Um, in the limelight and in the glory and you to just find yourself completely like uh, yeah just unable to access the thing that you know you're capable of doing Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and that creates a really kind of uncanny like doubling effect Um, but just it's also very very relevant to this character because we know that she like you said it before Sarah like I remember after we watched the film and we had a chat with the filmmakers you said it so beautifully like you said um this character like she's an auteur yes yeah she is she's she's a director she's well she's an artist yeah and I think that's what makes this film so different from the previous film from sorry we missed you because she's having a similar problem of you know she says like how many hours do I have to put in do I have to not sleep do I have to in order to be successful but it's a different it's a different thing that she wants this is the first time thinking about it this way so again my thoughts are not fully formed but there's I think there's also something about this similarly to misery which is about the pain of creative financial success um of automating your your work I think or finding like a formula that works and being picked and then having your work kind of replicated um which because you know I went to I, I every year not this year because obviously it couldn't happen but every year I go to this conference called um gothic feminism at the University of Kent mm. it's run by um one of my old tutors and an English literature tutor and um it's such a good it's always like two two or three days and they Mm -hmm. choose kind of a theme around around it and it's always about films so it's gothic feminism in cinema and there's a theme so that the first year I went it was horror and then the second year I went it was technology Oh, wow. And in the technology, there was a guy, I wish I had recorded it, actually, because I did record a lot of them, but I tried to listen back the other day and I hadn't. Um, but he was presenting um, He was presenting a paper on CAM. And he, I find that a lot of, especially, like, you know, especially male, but not necessarily just male, but there's a lot of readings of horror that are, when you look at a woman in horror, you try to, you interpret what happens to her as punishment. And he said, you know, she's being punished and like presumably for sex work. I can't remember what it was, but she's being punished and this is her punishment. And mm-hmm. I approached him after and I said, do you not think that she's being picked as opposed to punished? And I think that that's the thing about the both of these films, like succeeding is doesn't is not necessarily pleasurable like, mm-hmm. or, you know, like attaining is not necessarily pleasurable. And I think that she gets picked for a reason. She gets picked because she's good and they want to make what she does well better. But I think that, I think there's pain in that. I think there's pain in like taking your creativity, taking someone's creativity and making it, well, even if, for for lack of a better word, commercial. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, I'm, and we never discussed this with the filmmakers and it's I'm probably reaching, but I think there is something there about you know, it's never said in the film that she stops getting her money. Yeah. 
it's never that's what everyone always assumes when they watch it but it never I think they say that she doesn't get I think they say that she doesn't get her gifts anymore or her PO boxes isn't working and they don't she doesn't get stuff sent to her anymore but they no one ever says anything about her money like we have to assume in the absence of that fact which I feel would have been made clear yeah if you're still getting your money and so and your job is easy why are you suffering and the reason that you're suffering and the thing that you hear so many creatives say when they get successful is like this is not me mm. this that is not me this is not me this is not authentic like this is not who I am this is not what I am doing (laughs) but the work still is still being churned out and it's and it has wow and I think the the work is just on autopilot exactly yeah Yeah. um I think I I it's only really just occurred to me but I think that like there's a lot that this film's about and there are so many ways but this is maybe how I would interpret it um, but then it's also the idea that the kind of the like the way that the algorithm or like the you know the companies with the most power can like sort of scoop up creativity and then replicate it themselves without needing you anymore. And I suppose at this stage you actually have that you have uh, like automated images yeah. that are just being made of of these robots doing a sweep of all of the images that they can cut find yeah. and just making something out of it so I suppose it's also that that anxiety about being automated and about your your creativity your like flawed creativity that can't appease everyone and can't make everyone happy coming up against this this machine that knows how to make everyone happy but also your humanity yeah again which is the you know a perfect pairing with sorry we missed you because that is the thing that is the kind of like infuriating thing that neoliberalism and you know the algorithm and 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 like big data or whatever just cannot crush Mm -hmm. and that is this this kind of insistent adamant humanity that keeps cropping up um but needs to be expressed and that's why when her confrontation with her digital doppelganger that she sets up this challenge of like banging her head I I I, when I first saw that I, I it I thought I didn't understand what that violence represented because you could see that there had been like a violent dimension in some of the earlier like camp performances with like the fake, you know, slitting of the throat with a knife. And then there was like the teasing of the gun. Mm -hmm. And then like it sort of progresses to this moment of confrontation. And we see this character completely covered in blood. Like we see Alice just covered and her face is like disfigured from the banging her head. And I couldn't help but think that because that was the moment that she sort of like triumphed over this digital creation and she was able to assert herself as like the authentic Alice or the, you know, the authentic um, cam performer. And I th- couldn't help but think that maybe that is just a great metaphor for what a truly creative person goes through in terms of the sheer pain mm-hmm. of like actually figuring out their, their vision for their performance. You know, it is actually painful. Like it is like you are disfigured in some way through the process of creativity. And this is something we've spoken of uh, about before on the pod, like the creative process and the artist process. Yeah. But that's that's a real testament to this character, as you had said previously, being like a true auteur, like her her interest isn't merely just a vacuous manifestation on this platform. She kind of reminds me a little bit of like, um, oh, God, who is the director of The Love Witch? Anna Biller. Anna Biller, yeah. You know, like every little every detail you see in that frame, she's had her say about what that should look like. Like there's been an, an, a, this, a conscious, intentional decision about the, the formation of that content. And this film is a really unique portrayal of the sheer pain that goes into like the artists asserting themselves and the trials and tribulations they go through. Mm-hmm. I think it's also it's a very specific pain that is unique to like younger millennials and Zoomers and everyone that comes after, which is that I think their creativity, they have this problem of audience, which previous generations just didn't. No. Where 
they have this idea that they need to collect in, and there's there's no ceiling there's no ceiling to how many how much of an audience they need to collect it's like you can have you, they need to have millions of instagram followers tiktok followers like youtube subscribers and that i think it, it must be an impediment to creativity it must be really difficult and feel really meaningless and pointless you must just feel like a tree in the woods like if there's no if you don't have any instagram followers is your is your art even art like is it worth it is it is it is there any point in doing what you do but like the idea of having an audience of even a hundred when we were kids was like oh my god wildly exciting and really rewarding like having one fan it and I just think that the idea that you start your career off with this pressure with this pressure of like there is no limit to how famous you can be to how successful you can be is intimidating and you know soul destroying it's it's the same it's the same thing as sorry we missed you there's no these limits kind of imposed on you but there's no like the but the limit of what you can achieve is getting is like is has disappeared like this idea of you is just like a human being who some people will like and some people won't is just like is nothing is like insignificant against this like possibility of these millions of people out there who could think that you're worth looking at or talking to or spending time absorbing their absorbing your work I don't know, I think it's a bit heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking, absolutely. Actually, what you just said reminded me so much of um, my latest uh, film obsession, which is, I think it's going to be streaming from next week, actually, Spree. Oh, Spree. I don't know what that is. Have you heard of this? So Spree is an American indie film. I think it's like a dark comedy, like satire. It's about a social media obsessed rideshare driver. And what he does is that he rigs his car. So he's actually not, he's actually posing as a rideshare driver. He's actually an aspiring social media content creator he wants to become famous he want he he he's obsessed with gathering a very very large following and he just wants to go viral and he figured out that maybe what he could do is rig the inside of a car with cameras so that it's all filming like the interior of the car and he poses as a rideshare driver picks up people wanting to get a lift but then he's a serial killer and he's killing people in the car oh my god that sounds amazing. I'm not giving anything away. Like that is just in the trailer. So I don't know any other twists from it. There's no spoilers in this, in what I said. Everyone should be watch. Everyone should watch this trailer. I was hooked as soon as I saw the trailer. And then uh, somebody uh, dubbed it the American psycho for the digital age. I was <sighs> like, oh my God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That is perfect for me. That's amazing. Like, it sounds great. Yeah. But I feel like it would be a good companion piece to Cam because he... This kid in the film, like he thinks that this ultra-violent content that he's creating in the car, he he just he feels like he's just catering to a desire that exists in the audience. He wants to please. He's a performer, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, in the same way that, um, like a lot of even like in Cam, for example, like we see Alice um, performing some of the, especially like like early on in the film like we see some of her little skits that she puts on and she clearly has like a relationship with some of the regular people who come to her page and it's kind of interesting like it it just made me think that so much of her sexuality has had to be performative because she's kind of like responding perhaps to something that she assumes the viewer wants but but that maybe it has to start there and then she figures things out on her own and she figures out her own desire and her own sexual identity I suppose I mean I feel like you're talking about all female sexuality yeah to a certain extent um which because you know I think it's like it takes a lot of it like from my point of view at least and a lot of other people I talk to I think it takes a lot of kind of brain training to get your mind out of the point of view of desiring being desired yeah um but I know I do I also think there is like a creative side to what you're saying which is yeah she does her sexuality is like it literally is tapped into to her 
popularity or like her success or how much people like what she's doing to the extent that she has an orgasm at the exact point that she reaches like the top fifth the top 50 yeah she goes below 50 um and yeah you're right like her creativity is at the beginning of the film very much about what she thinks people will like and she's like elated that her that her performances have done well um and it is like it said it from her mind but she's definitely kind of feeding like her job is to feed other people's desires um and I suppose maybe it is a little bit about those that balance that balance of catering to other people but also making work that you're really really interested in Mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely which is the key isn't it that's what they say you have to do something do the thing that obsesses you um but the thing that obsesses you should not be making money (laughs) it should be like whatever whatever weird stuff you're into which (laughs) in the end of the film is like space yeah what what is persona like (laughs) like i want to see like cam too i want to see what happens you know in in this new iteration of her performance because here she's she's even kind of embraced her new like disfigurement and her mom is involved like her mom is like her makeup artist that would be so cool if we could just if we could have tokens as we watch as they if they could have some kind of virtual cam girl experience when they premiere that film I would totally I would just tip and tip and tip me too and actually I once read a book called future sex um which was about it was about this the kind of premise of the book is it's a non-fiction book but the premise of the book is if we're not um going to settle down and have children and if relationships don't ask you know are failing and you know if things are not forever then what's the future like what's the alternative and she goes and investigates all of these different alternatives she goes to burning man which sounds like my worst nightmare and she goes to like orgasmic meditation and stuff like that but there's a point there's one of the chapters she spends time with cam girls and she like studies them and she says and all of the girls say that they spend a lot of the money they earn tipping other girls. Oh, my God. Which really? is so in, such an interesting fact. Because yeah. you think, you know, you just, you do it to, like, hoard money and hoard money. But it's not, it doesn't work like that. Because your work is so, you know, as because when you're human beings, that's not how life is. And when you're working on a campsite, you have a relationship with your colleagues who are other cam girls. And so, and I'm sure that there is a lot of competition, like, as depicted in that film. I think there's also community, like, it's a creative community of, of auteurs, like, it's, you know, like, they're all directors and they're all helping each other out, which I think is actually what happens in the film industry as well, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's kind of beautiful. It's really beautiful. I really liked that fact. That whole chapter is so funny because she focuses (laughs) on, on this one girl who, whose pers- who's persona, because again, you think of sex in a certain way, and then actually what people are really desiring is something totally, totally different and totally weird. And this girl that makes, that is so successful and makes so much money, does it by just her, like, persona is this, dep- like, existentially depressed, like, American apparel wearing, oh. like, g- like, a girl that just, she just <laughs> appeals to, like, soft boys. <laughs> who all just want to like tell her to read um David Foster Wallace and <laughs> like and just like they just want to make her they just want to like understand her and her depression like and that's what they want more than anything and she's like the most successful girl on the site just and she just like logs on cries and like and and that's what she does damn it why didn't I think of that I know <laughs> oh my god I think it must be a little bit I mean it's like what they say about going on tinder people say you know you should go on a dating app because it's quite a compliment like the amount of people that like you is like gives you a confidence boost and I was always like no way it wouldn't it wouldn't but maybe it does maybe there's like there's so many people out there that will buy what you're selling (laughs) and you just never know oh my god Wow. I need to check out this book, Future Sex. Future Sex, yeah, it was very interesting. It sounds interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much to say about Cam. Again, like, it's, as you say, there's so many different ways to interpret it. 
I have to say there is one scene that scared the bejesus out of me. And like, I still, like when I rewatched it for, for this pod episode, it still took me by surprise how much like it startled me. It's when Alice is in her bedroom and she's following this live stream of her doppelganger with like a guest collab person. And like, I think the, the girl who's like number one, who's been number one, and the, t- the two of them on the screen, they're like joking around and they're like, let's do a house tour. And they're like on the screen and they're about to enter into the bedroom. And they just look like hysterical and they look really scary. And and Alice is in the in the bedroom and she's like ho- trying to like push the door, like trying to stop the door from opening. But of course, like on the screen, they just come into the room. Yeah. That moment reminds me so much of like Mulholland Drive when Naomi Watts is inside her apartment and like Laura uh, Laura Elena Haring's character, like uh, Camilla Rhodes, is trying to push the door and open the door. To me, it's just the classic like Lica- psychoanalytic or Lacanian idea of like the fantasy, the like terrifying fantasy I- I- invading your space. Like in, oh, in, I actually got goosebumps, like, t- rem- remembering Drive. Oh. nothing's ever scared me more. Actually, oh. yeah, you're totally right. It's it's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, it's, like, horrible. It's so creepy. The fantasy invading your space is such an interesting, an interesting theory. Yeah, because I was thinking that, you know... Um, here in this situation, as a kind of like dystopian work situation where you find out that like um, you have been frozen out of your means of production. I mean, the whole reason why people go like open up like uh, OnlyFans accounts and like become cam girls or whatever is that, you know, your body is your means of production and you're completely seizing full control of it. And mm-hmm. you're the one you know, you decide whether you do nude or non-nude or whatever type of content you want to put out there. Um, and also it's very intimate because it's like you depicting yourself in a vulnerable state as well. Um, but also you're empowered because you're fully in control of the content you put out. So for that to be suddenly like eliminated and you're frozen out of that way of working... And then having to witness your digital doppelganger going to town and like doing a house tour and like coming out of the studio space and actually like pervading throughout your li- your your broader living space and like haunting the rest of this house like a specter. Um, and then like coming into the bedroom where you're hiding out. It's just, to me, it just feels like a really obscene nightmare scenario of the, the one fantasy that you held on to having this autonomy and agency over your creativity, over your body, being detached and divorced from you, and then imposing itself onto you in a mocking way. Mm. And it just felt like this violent fantasy, like invading your space and like, reminding you that it's just something you cannot access and in a way in psychoanalysis you know we it's coming one of the goals of psychoanalysis is to come to terms with the hard reality that we may not fully know ourselves you know like we may try much as we'd like to try and not for it's not for lack of wanting and not for lack of trying but it's just the unconscious insists that there's whole there's a whole dimension of ourselves that will remain a mystery to us, you know, and things that we do that might be irrational or might be inexplicable. Um, but also how society views us as well. Like we know that there's a little bit of a stigma between Alice doing this sex work and like her family accepting that type of work as well. So it's all of these different realities like clashing at the same time. And just that scene where the doppelganger is coming on screen into this space where she's hiding out, which is supposed to be like a sanctuary, like a safe space. It just kind of made me think that it's scary because it's just another reminder that when it comes to coming to grips with our own agency, there is no, there is no place to hide. Like it is, it'll, it will come and creep in and you realize 
you don't have that much control. So much of auteur, being an auteur and making those decisions is that you feel in control of your output. Mm-hmm. You, you depict the image of yourself that you want other people to see. You're 100% the master of your persona. But psychoanalysis tells us that, you know, the ego is not master in his own house. And that's what she um, kind of like reveals by the end when she's performing with that like broken nose. Because like a really good auteur is someone that will like change the setup on the day and, you know, and like, you know, and that will benefit from sort of creative mistakes that will turn a mistake into something good. Yeah. Roll with the punches. Yeah. It's such, that's so interesting just hearing you say all of that because I was writing about, as as I said, all my anxieties and I was writing about my various failures as I perceived them. And I wrote, I feel like a ghost. Um, like I don't inhabit my life correctly like or enough and I wonder just how familiar that is for a lot of people because I feel like that's kind of when she's has this thing taken away from her she doesn't she just seems she does kind of seem like she, it's like more like she's the spectre kind yeah. of haunting this house in which other people are doing things correctly and she's totally unable to and I identify with that so much in that I feel like I'm, I have this life and there's nothing wrong with it and it shouldn't be so hard to make something out of it and other people can make stuff out of theirs. So why am I somehow not all there, you know? Because of the values that we kind of celebrate in our society, we don't really allow for a discourse to kind of shine a light on how common that feeling really is. And so a lot of people just feel like, oh, no one else would be, would relate to that. Mm. I mean, I relate to what you say completely. It's this idea that this is at the heart of Cam as well. It's, the, it's that she's erased. Yeah. She's, she's erased, you know, and that everything that she worked so hard for could so easily just be like digitally replicated. Therefore, it meant nothing. Yes, know? it meant nothing. Oh, damn. It's such a good film. <laughs> it's such a good film. But, but the truth is, like, she's actually, she, she's vindicated in the end because she confronts that challenge in a very physical way and in a very intentional way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she proves that she, she has the courage and the wherewithal to suffer an, an, a great amount of pain and is brave enough to transform, really transform. And like reinvent herself, as it were, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as you say, as any good auteur and artist can do. I guess that's the thing about being creative. Like they always have another idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They always come up with something. Yeah, always. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, I really enjoy talking about this. Do you think we've covered everything we oh, have yeah, to cover? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's always the way with you, Sarah. Like every time we talk about films, I always come away thinking like, I could, I could have never set out to cover all the things that we did prior to oh, our same. talk. I had nothing before this talk. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> me, neither. me neither, honestly. Um, so it looks like our Twitter poll is pretty much decided. Um, yeah. So if you voted um, for our next season, it looks like it's going to be Colts on Film because yeah. that is firmly in the lead. Um, so thank you very much for voting. If you did vote and you got your wish, consider donating to us because we've just had our bill for another year of our website so we could have we could use a handout yeah um but yeah and if and I'm sure the others will come around again if you didn't vote for Colts on Film and you want something else um but it was very nice actually we kind of replicated the Pavlovian (laughs) cam thing of getting our viewers involved and then feeding off their interest so thank you so much you sustained us for another week just simply by participating it was fun it was so much fun we should definitely do that again I don't want to ever make another decision I know. I'm just gonna leave it up to Twitter they really <laughs> it was really cool like, and whatever was in the lead I was like yeah I want to do that I'm so enthusiastic about that so yeah it does, there's something to be said for an audience it does change your perspective doesn't it I, I want to put out Twitter polls for every life decision that I have to make so mm-hmm. that I don't have to be like burdened with the agony of deciding. You guys can just decide my life. It's some, that's like, that's some kind of weird form of sex work, isn't it? Like that's the ultimate <laughs> control show. Yeah. Wasn't there like a Black Mirror Bandersnatch thing where like the audience could like decide there was like it a was. Drop- It seemed like too much hard work. I was yeah. like, guys, you, can you 
just do the job of forming a story like the bare minimum of what you're supposed to do <laughs> thank you can you guys edit your work please I think the people who made that are giving me way more credit in terms of how I consume Netflix. Like, yeah. I'm just flopped on my couch. So yeah, exactly. I- Do you expect me to move <laughs> at all? Like, you really don't understand our, your audience. Uh, as always, be sure to share your feedback with us and yes, tell us what you think. Um, thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye. I tried to do handstands for you. I tried to do handstands.